This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. We are continuing our sermon series through the book of Genesis, and we're focusing now on the fourth chapter of, of this book, really the fourth story, uh, story of Cain and Abel. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother, Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for gathering us around your word. We're here to hear from you. And so we pray that you speak to us through your word, that we leave here stronger Christians than the ones that came, and that everything would be done to the glory of your name. And don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of the work of your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. If you assume that everything you do is good and all your real problems are outside of you, you will actually become very bad. But if you assume that all the evil that's out there in the world is also in you, well, then you have the potential to transform and be good. The Christian philosopher Alexander Solzhenitsyn found this out as he he thought about the Stalin's regime and he was a victim of that gulag and he he thought about that and that's really, Stalin thought that everything he was doing was good, that he was putting together this, this good government, this communist government and he was doing everything that was good and anybody that got in his way, all those people out there were bad and evil. And so he thought it was his job to get rid of any of those people who were the bad ones, those outside, killing 40 million of his own countrymen, his own people. But Solzhenitsyn didn't want to fall into that same 
temptation. Even though he was a victim of the gulag and saw all the evil that was out there, he also knew that it also was inside of him. And so this is what he wrote. He said, If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessarily only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. That's what Stalin thought. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart. I can understand that intellectually, that, that evil is inside every human heart, but to actually accept that as a human being, to actually say that all those bad things and that other group or that other political party or those other people is also inside of me, that is really hard to accept spiritually and emotionally. But every time I try to justify, defend, hide the evil that's inside of me, it actually gets worse. Do you see this in yourself? I mean, how hard is it to say, I'm sorry? How hard is it actually to take responsibility for what you've done? How hard is it to actually look inside of your heart? The reason it's so hard to look inside of our own heart is because who wants to destroy a piece of their own heart? So I mentioned we're continuing the sermon series Origins. We're looking at the origin of everything as we open up to the opening pages of history of the Bible. We're looking at the origin of life and the origin of marriage, the origin of sin, origin of envy, origin of everything that we see here today. Today we're going to focus on that origin of envy. Where does envy actually come from? And the question I want to answer is how do we rule over the envy that dwells within us? How do we rule over that? Now, before we dive into our text, I just want to back up and kind of review what we've seen so far as we open up the opening pages of the Bible. We see on the first page that God created everything and that he organized it in a, in a beautiful way with meaning and purpose. Everything in our world has a purpose. And when he put everything together with the way it was supposed to be, then he created human beings to fulfill their role as God's image bearers. That means that they were made to be God's representatives. We were made to be like God, to reflect the goodness of God. And then in the second chapter, uh, God brings those two human beings together in marriage. He institutes marriage. It's this lifelong union between one man and one woman. And together they should, could carry out that, that purpose to rule over this earth to be fruitful and multiply. Unfortunately, by the time you get to Genesis chapter 3, instead of letting God be God and letting God be in charge, they wanted to take God's place. That's what that story, maybe it seems like a silly story, uh, is all about, but it's got a profound meaning. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, God says there's this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this tree represented God's tree. God decides what's good and evil. But Adam and Eve, instead of being okay with God being God, they ate from that tree. They listened to the snake and they wanted to be their own gods. They wanted to decide what was good and evil, redefine good and evil on their own terms. That's really the definition of sin. 
see, to commit a sin, to do something wrong, we really have to convince ourselves that there's some good reason to do it. And so we often redefine what's good and evil on our own terms so that we can do things the way we want to do them and convince ourselves that it's okay. And we see that kind of thinking that that sin is not just something outside of us in the snake, but now it's been opened up to the door of our hearts. We see that in this story of Cain and Abel. That now sin is on the inside and it's so easy for us to justify our own actions. So here, let's open up to Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, what you'll notice in these stories is these characters are are, are simple characters. Uh, They're almost iconic, um, archetypal characters that we can find ourselves inside of these characters. Uh, She names her her first child Cain, and, and that word Cain means to bring forth, to acquire. And maybe that's... Uh, because she said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth of man. Also, it means that maybe foreshadowing that, that Cain wanted to acquire power for himself by, by winning God's favor. And then the second child, his name is Abel. And Abel means breath or brevity, uh, something that is here today, gone tomorrow. And maybe that kind of foreshadows what would happen to him in his life. And then some more simple ideas, a simple story, um, intentionally simple as it continues. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So we have a, a shepherd and a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits from the soil as an offering to the Lord. Nothing special here. He, he, he gets a harvest and he, he makes an offering to God, what, what all believers do. And Abel brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. So there's something different about Abel's offering. He brings forward um, not just something from his flock, but the fat portions, the the first and the best from his flock. And and this is supposed to get us to start to wonder, all right, what's going on? Why is Abel's offering different than Cain's? What what is the, the writer here trying to tell us in some of these subtle details? And then the next verse, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And so God sees these two men bringing their offering to the Lord. One brings their first and their best, and the other just brings something from the harvest. And because the one brings his first and his best, telling us something about his heart, he looks with favor on that offering. Now, when Cain sees that there is something different, there's a comparison that God looks with favor on someone's offering, but not on his own, that there's a distinction between him and his brother. He feels like maybe he's being left out. He almost has kind of a a victimhood mentality here. Poor me. He, it says in the next verse, so Cain was very angry and his face downcast. I've heard from psychologists and sociologists who've said that anger is, is not usually a main emotion. Anger is usually a secondary emotion. We get angry about something, but there's usually something behind the anger. What's behind his anger is his envy. His face was downcast. He was sad. He was, 
He was self-loathing. He was ruminating on something. Um, he was kind of part of that, that victimhood mentality that nothing's working out for me. But God didn't want him to stay in that mentality. God didn't want him to, to ruminate on those emotions. God didn't want him to live in that anger and in that self-loathing. And so God confronted him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? So the, the Lord, and this is pretty common, especially in the first couple of chapters of the Bible, God tries to get Adam's attention by asking, where are you, Adam? And now he comes to Cain, why are you so angry? Uh, why are you so sad? Asking these questions to try to get him to, to see himself and, and see that you have no reason to justify this anger. You have no reason to be envious with your brother. If you would just do what is right, if you would bring your first and your best to the Lord, if you would change your heart, you'd be accepted too. You have no reason to blame your brother for your situation. It's not your brother's fault that you're in this situation. And he's trying to get him to look inside of his own heart. In fact, he gives him a warning he says, but if you do what is right, um, but if you do not do what is right, sin, it's crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. If you don't change, if you don't do what's right, sin, it's kind of like this, this lion in the door of your heart, and it's hungry, and it wants to eat you alive. And you have to rule over that sin that's, that's in your heart. You have, to, you have to confront it and attack it. If you don't, it's going to eat you up. Unfortunately, Cain didn't want to look into his own heart. It was too painful. It was too hard. As Solzhenitsyn said, who wants to destroy a piece of their heart? Who wants to take responsibility? Who wants to look inside of their own heart? And so instead of looking at the lion that was attacking his own heart, he attacks his brother. He thinks all of his problems are outside of him. He thinks if he could just get rid of his competition, then he would be the favored one in the family. And so we get this cold next verse, verse 8, it says this. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Unfortunately, Cain did not rule over sin, but sin ruled over him and ate him alive. And he continued to justify it, defend it, make excuses for it, played that kind of victimhood mentality. And yet God, in his grace, continued to pursue Cain. He comes with another question. The Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? And Cain responded, I don't know. He replied, am I my brother's keeper? God continuing to give him chances to, to uh, identify the sin that was in him, to confront it, to confess it, to change it. But he continued to harden his heart to God's questions. He continued to blame everybody else. He continued to, to not take responsibility. And so finally, the Lord gave him consequences for his actions. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me for judgment from the ground. 
Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And even then, even with those consequences, it seemed like Cain hardened his heart to God's rebuke. Because this sin of of self-justifying action, of envy, of violence. It didn't just pass on to his children. It passed on to the third, the fourth, the fifth generation. In fact, the whole rest of Genesis chapter four is a list of Cain's genealogy and it goes from bad to worse. So what are we supposed to do with this? What's it to do with this very eerie, dark, strange story? Well, in the New Testament, John tells us what to do with it. The Apostle John, he writes, Do not be like Cain. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain knew that his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. And instead of looking into his own heart and saying, You know what? I screwed this up. I'm taking responsibility. I did the wrong thing. My problem is inside of me. Instead of being honest about that his own actions were evil, he thought it would be good to get rid of his brother. He redefined good and evil on his own terms. He wanted to be in the place of God. And so John tells us, don't be like Cain. And so we need to be honest. That when we feel that emotion of maybe anger or sadness come up in your, or or that that, that feeling of envy come up in your heart, you got to identify it for what it really is. It is a ferocious lion waiting to devour you. And I know it might feel like, like if you look inside your heart and you see all the wickedness in there and you can't blame your circumstances or somebody else or, or something else, uh, your problems, it feels like you're going to destroy your own heart except if there was somebody to cleanse it. Let's go back and look at our opening question, how do we rule over the envy that dwells within us? God said, rule over that sin, Cain. How do you actually rule over it? We rule over it. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. See, here's the good news. That when you actually look inside of your heart and look at that lion of sin that's crouching at your door... You can expose it to Jesus. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, his blood covers over all of our sin and wipes us clean, makes us new. When you're exposing your heart, your sinful heart to God, it's not to be destroyed, but that's actually the start of making your heart new. The writer to the Hebrews makes the point even clearer as he connects it to the story of Cain and Abel. It says, but you, you dear Christian, you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkling blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So the blood of Abel, God said, was crying out to him for vengeance, for judgment. 
that God heard the blood of Abel's crying out, saying, somebody needs to be brought to justice. And because Cain continued to defend himself and justify himself and move the goalposts and redefine good and evil, he would receive that judgment. But now the writer to the Hebrews says that there is a better blood that's crying out to God, not for judgment and not for vengeance, but for victory and for forgiveness. And when we come to Jesus, exposing all that is wrong within our heart, he makes us right. That changes everything. And so here's the big takeaway. I think this is what this text is leading us to do. Don't be like Cain. Be honest. Go into those dark places of your heart and recognize the sin that's crouching at your door. Recognize the sin that's crouching at your door. Because when you recognize it and you expose it and you go into those scary places of your heart, then you can bring them into the light and Jesus can take them. And then the change is how you look at other people. You see, if you think all your problems are outside of you, you think you'll need to attack those people. You'll, you need to bring down those other people. You can blame other people for everything. But, but when you defend your sin and try to justify your sin and blame everyone else, the sin doesn't go away. It actually becomes more ferocious and more dangerous. And it'll eat you alive. So what would this look like Practically. If you speak a harsh word against your spouse, instead of defend it like she had it coming or she did this first or he did that, instead of defending that harsh word you spoke against your spouse, expose it to the light. Call it out. Call it out for what it was, the anger that it was, the self-justifying that it was. Call it out and bring the light and let the blood of Jesus heal you and ask for forgiveness. If you feel that, that envy creeping up in your heart because, you know, somebody else on the team or somebody else at work or somebody else seems to be getting what you think you deserve. Don't think that bringing them down is going to make you any better. Don't think about getting rid of them is going to make you any better. Confess the envy that's living inside of your heart, that crouching lion, and let God wash you clean. Whenever you see those, those so-called little sins, the, the, those emotions start to, to come up inside of your heart, don't deny them, don't justify them, don't move the goalposts, expose them to the light, and Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, will purify us from all sin. You see, when you're exposing all that's going wrong in your heart to God, you're not destroying your heart, you're actually making it new. See, I know it's kind of part of our culture right now, uh, kind of part of our humanistic kind of uh, worldview to say something like, you know, most people are basically good people. And at first that sounds like, like such a positive good thing to say that, you know, we're all basically good people. There's a few bad apples out there. But actually, if you believe that, yeah, we're mostly good people, but there's the bad apples out there, then you feel justified in getting rid of or talking down or denying or whatever those bad apples out there. 
and actually makes you worse. But if you believe what the Bible says, that all those things that you don't like in other people, all those things you don't like out there are actually found in here also. That's the start of learning to be good. You see, when we acknowledge what's wrong inside of us, we recognize that our real battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against those people or those political party or that thing out there or those things out there. Our real battle is not against flesh and blood, against them. Our real battle is against the spiritual forces that are at work inside of us. And the good news is you can rule over it. How do we rule over it? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, if only it was so simple. If only there was just some bad people out there that we could get rid of those bad things, those bad people out there. But it's not so simple, Lord God. Evil and wickedness cuts through every human heart. Thank you, Lord God, for not destroying us in our heart, but cleansing it through the work of Jesus Christ. Now set us free. Set us free from our sins so that we could learn to love as you have loved us. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.